From Square Two, this is What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO at Square Two, and along with my longtime friend, Eric Kalis, and co-founder at Square Two and six-time entrepreneur, Eric and I will answer the question CEOs have every single day, what's wrong with revenue? You can be part of the Livecast show where we'll answer your questions every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, or catch the show on demand on YouTube and on all your favorite podcast networks. Also check out all our audio and video content on Square2 Plus at the square2marketing.com website. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 11 of What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO and Chief Revenue Scientist here at Square2. Today we're talking about how do you know how to prioritize what to work on? Um, one of the things that, that we found keeps revenue from growing is that people sometimes aren't sure what to work on in what order and how to prioritize everything that's on their plate. Today I'm joined uh, by Kristen Stricker, COO and Director of Client Services here at Square Two. Kristen, say hi to everybody. Hello. And you probably noticed, but this is not a live broadcast today due to some scheduling conflicts this afternoon. Uh, we're pre-recording the show in the morning on Wednesday, and the show will be launched live at four o'clock. So if you did want to pick up the show at our normal time, you will be able to still get it on all of its regular channels, YouTube, our website, uh, the podcasts will be released on uh, their a podcast platform of your choice. So uh, for the most part, it should be a normal show for most of you. And we have collected questions. So we'll do question and answers like we normally do. Um, if you are interested in subscribing to the show, you can subscribe via YouTube at the Square Two Marketing web, uh, YouTube channel. And you can also go to our website at the bottom of square2marketing.com. There's a footer called What's Wrong With Revenue. Click it and you will find a page where you can submit questions, subscribe to get updates on the show. Um, and actually all the shows are posted there as well. So there's lots of ways to get access to the show if you're interested. So Kristen, let's get into it. Um, you know, we talk to a lot of companies and a lot of their challenges come down to, there's so much to do and so little time. Uh, last episode, we talked about resources and having the right resources. Uh, I feel like sometimes people are working on the wrong things in the wrong order. And uh, how can we help them decide what to work on and in what order to work on it? You know, for instance, do I start with sales? Do I start with marketing? Do I start with customer service? Do I work on a big campaign initiative? Do I work on optimization? I mean, how would somebody know where to start from a prioritization perspective? Uh, perspective. So Kristen, why don't you enlighten our uh, audience a little bit in terms of how Square Two thinks about prioritization, and then uh, I'll, I'll introduce a couple of other concepts, and then we'll handle questions. Since we do have a lot of questions, I want to get to them, but maybe you could kind of just introduce everybody to how we think about prioritization. Sure. So out of the gate, uh, you know, two main things that you have to think about. Where is the business in terms of the maturity of the business? Um, such as uh, you have a robust pipeline, um, but we're not closing deals. 
uh, versus we have a robust database and we've been doing business with a lot of people for a long time and we're adding new offerings to our uh, services um, and we need to find a way to make sure that we increase awareness uh, versus you're a startup, right? And you, and you have to, to build a, a base out of the gate. And then also your objectives. What are the business, uh, your overall business objectives and goals for the year and the next three years? So those two things combined together will then start to help you dig through where should we start and what are our priorities? Awesome. So let's get a little uh, into it uh, in more detail, right? So you talked about you know, we have a lot, the marketing seems to be working, but we can't close as many deals as we want to. So if, if someone was telling you that, where would that kind of suggest you point the rifle in terms of prioritizing what they might be wanting to work on? Uh, so that kind of puts me in sales enablement and sales, right? So let's do a little bit of our due diligence and, and look, do you have a sales process? Is it being followed? Um, what does the close rate look like? Do you have any transparency into what's going on in the sales process? Uh, also, kind of the, the, the uh, lead management, right? Between marketing and sales, what's going on there? Is it a handoff? Is our marketing leads being appropriately handed off to sales and are sales handling those leads correctly? Um, and do we have communication between marketing and sales? Is marketing handing sales the right kind of leads in the first place? Um, so once we've kind of done a bit of due diligence here in terms of what is going on in these two areas, we can start to understand what is, if you will, the low hanging fruit, what are the things that we need to start working on tweaking, improving out of the gate, uh, to help with that scenario. Awesome. So let, let's say you do your due diligence and you find that there is a sales process and people are more or less following it and the handoff is okay and there's data on the lead so there's 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 some transparency decent transparency let's say um but we're still just not able to close as many as we would like where where would that direct you so if there is transparency and and things are being handed off correctly and uh the sales has deemed, yep, that marketing is handing us some qualified leads, then we need to look at the sales process. And what is the sales team doing uh, to make sure that that process is consistent, that uh, it is also has consistency with the voice, the message of what prospects heard during the marketing process, uh, 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 cycle, right, journey. Uh, and making sure that they have the appropriate tools to close deals and that they're taking the right steps to, to push that along. Right. So I might even take it a step further and say, like, maybe we really ought to look at what's happening at the very end of the sales process. So if there's a decent sales process and there's transparency and the handoff is okay, I would probably dig in very specifically at the end of the sales process. So if there's a presentation that you're doing, if there's a proposal that you're providing, if there's an agreement that you're uh, sending along to your prospects, there's a high likelihood that those could be preventing you, and you might not even know it, from closing deals at a higher rate, right? Your contract could be too legal. Uh, 
if we go back to some of the other things we've said in previous episodes, your whole sales process has to be designed to get your prospects to feel safe with you. And if you give them a legal contract and your decision maker is not a lawyer, that's actually producing the opposite effect. They're actually going to be quite anxious. They're going to look at a document. They're not going to understand it. The first thing they're going to say is, well, I got to send this to legal. Now your sales cycle is extended weeks, if not longer, as legal pours through your contract and redlines, it sends it back to you because after all, that's what legal's there for, to protect the company and a redline stuff and to, to make this as much in their favor as possible. If you had delivered a, an agreement or a contract that was written in plain English and your business uh, champion uh, understood it, they may have signed it without having to send it to legal. So that's one very practical example. Your presentation maybe all about you and not about the prospect, right? So again, you know, you're not really addressing their issues. You're not really focusing on them. You're, you're talking more about yourself. That might be preventing you from closing deals too. And the only reason I'm really drilling down onto these specific things is because when you want to prioritize what you're going to work on, you really want to look at what's going to have the biggest impact for the least amount of effort. And when you're looking at a big impact, a great place to start is at the very end of the buyer journey at the close rate. If your close rate is not between 70 and 80, maybe even pushing 90%, then I think that's a very good place to start. That's a place where you will have big impact for little effort. If you look at the sales presentation that all your reps are using and you realize that it's 90% about you and 10% about your prospect, and you were to flip that to make it 90% about the prospect and 10% about you, you might find that you take your close rate from 30% to 50% in just a matter of days. I mean, that's the kind of impact we're looking for. And that's the kind of prioritization methodology that I think we'd like you to take away today. Narrow in on those areas that you can have a big impact on for not amount of effort, right? So we talked about sales. Let's talk a little bit about marketing. So Kristen, tell the audience how, what some examples of marketing oriented work that might have a big impact for a little bit of effort. Right. So from a marketing perspective, again, you, you, you want to dig in and do some due diligence in terms of what does your business really need right now? Um, big impact for little effort uh, out of the gate. If you're really looking to increase awareness, you don't have the awareness that you ultimately need. Um, there are two sides of that, right? There's going to be the long-term play, and then there's going to be the short-term play. Uh, long-term play, meaning building the brand, building uh, domain authority out in the digital space, making sure that you're getting found and, and searched for. But then the, the uh, quicker impact, the quick wins, you, you can start to push the message out there actively using things such as paid channels, uh, tapping into things such as associations, publications of your target prospects, uh, where you're going to be communicating the, to them through a channel that they trust, right? Um, from anywhere from that to if you are a more mature business and you do have a wide uh, database, you have a a solid database that you can communicate to and you have something to communicate to them. You have cross-sell, upsell opportunities from a marketing perspective. Start communicating there. Uh, start to raise awareness and uh, increase engagement with your with, with the people that already are know you and are a bit warm, if you will. Yeah, that, that's very good advice. Another 
option would be if you if you do have some uh, performance already, for instance, if you are getting people to your website and you have some highly trafficked, trafficked landing pages that maybe aren't converting in the 40 to 50% range, remember a landing page is a very specific page with a very specific task. And that's to turn a visitor into a conversion, a lead or a sales opportunity. And those pages should be converting at a pretty high clip. If they're not, that could be a, a very good place to start with a little bit of effort and a high return. So if you do have a highly trafficked landing page with a low conversion rate, and that should be pretty easy to find, making some simple adjustments to that page could provide big results. For instance, lots of times marketers tend to use the headline for the fancy creative story and the subhead for the more practical application of what they're actually gonna get if they convert on this page. Lots of times we'll flip that and have the more practical as the headline and the more creative as the subhead. That's a five minute flip that could potentially increase the conversion rates significantly, right? Um, sometimes we add a testimonial to the landing page, which might seem a little counterintuitive. Testimonials are generally about the company or the products or services, but we might add a testimonial about the particular offer we're providing or the particular uh, content that the page is trying to convert uh, for. That is, a again, a very simple, quick fix add to the landing page can potentially drive up the conversion rate. You can swap out the picture, you could shorten the copy, you could look at the form and make some adjustments to the form. Um, you could make your text instead of paragraphs into bullets. These are all really short, simple upgrades that you can run on a high traffic landing page that would produce an improved set of results. So again, if you're looking at all of the things you have to do, you wanna make sure that you put this stuff in your list of things to do first, because that's gonna take a little bit of effort. You're gonna be able to get a lot of those in and have a big impact on results before you start looking at some of the bigger, more uh, costly items from a time and an expense perspective. Now, we are gonna talk a little bit of how to balance that because obviously you can't do, you, you can't not do the big items because those are important too, but it's just a question of where do I start and how do I balance that? So we're gonna talk about that balance a little bit. Kristen, anything you wanna add? Yeah, the only other thing there are there's steps right to to the small stuff to the big stuff. Uh, a lot of what you just discussed are the, the smaller tweaks that you can make very easily and quickly. Um, and then there's the in between if you have content if you have a, if a resource library that you're already working with evaluate that evaluate blog posts, can you throw together a pillar page to say throw together but strategically put together. A, a pillar page that's going to present content that you already have that maybe you can just tweak a little bit. Um, that's going to, to give you a boost in, in SEO. It's going to give you something interesting to push out to your audience and have them engage with in, in a slightly different way. Uh, so take a look at, at what you already have and, and what can you tweak there and how can you use it in different ways? Yeah, that's very good advice. Um, reallocating assets is another really good um, low effort way that can potentially have a high impact, right? You could, you know, you may have a marketing asset that's not highly downloaded, that if you turn it over to sales and they can use it in the sales process, you just gave them a brand new tool without having to do any extra work. So I think looking at the buyer journey and looking at where your assets are deployed and making sure they're deployed efficiently uh, is another area that, that 
can have a big impact for, for not a lot of effort. So I got a question here and it talks about balance. So keeping some, some good threads here in the show, the question came from Mark in uh, Portland. You mentioned little projects have a big impact uh, versus bigger project that might also have a big impact. How would you recommend we balance the workload for these two types of projects? So this is kind of what I was alluding to, you know, like if you're going to run a campaign and that's, there's a lot of lift associated with the campaign, you can't just ignore it because you have all these little things to do that are going to also have a big impact. You eventually got to get to the campaign and that campaign might have a lot to it, right? You may have to write a series of emails. You might have to create some content. You might have to um, do some list segmentation, some personalization to content you already have. You may have a partner involved in a campaign. Like, so there are going to be some, you may need special pages created for the campaign. So there's a pretty big lift associated with almost any campaign you're planning on launching. So how would you balance that out with these little activities? And Kristen, what I'd like you to talk a little bit about is how we do some of our planning, because the way we do planning with clients, I think is a really good model for how clients can do planning on their own. And there's some similarities, believe it or not, to what the agency goes through and what the in-house team goes through. First, both of us have limited resources, right? So it might look like an agency has unlimited resources because they have all these people that work there and the in-house team might be one or two or three people, but it's really the same kind of exercise. So if you have a couple of people on your marketing team, they only can work a certain amount of hours and a certain amount of days, which means there's limits to what they can get done in a month. It's the same thing with an agency. Most of our clients have a budget. We like to try to stick to their budget. Uh, and that means that we can only do a certain amount of work for them over a certain period of time. And we work with the client to prioritize that work, to recommend work that's going to have a high impact and a big lift on their program. But in the end, we can't do any, we can't do as much as we want or as much as they want us to do. There are constraints to that. So I think the way we plan is a good model for uh, in-house people to plan also. So Kristen, can you talk a little bit about how we look at the available resources or the budget and then decide what we think a client should be working on, how we collaborate with them and discuss the priorities and get their feedback and sign off and then have everyone on the same page to then start executing. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. Um, okay, so from the from, from the top, always, always making sure that your business goals and objectives are front and center. I mean, we talked about that as that number one thing that you're gonna look at to, to, to help you decide where you're gonna start. But on an ongoing basis, it is very important to keep that front and center so that you don't lose the connection between what you're doing in marketing and sales to what your ultimate business goals and objectives are. There are always a whole bunch of bright, shiny objects out there that, are, uh, that can distract us. And by making sure that you have a format where uh, that is always there and that as you discuss what you're going to focus on, that there is a way to make a direct connection between marketing, sales, and business goals and objectives. Yeah, let me let me just make a quick point there because I think that's a good that's a good um, point you bring up when you're talking about in-house teams that may tend to have to respond to the whims of the leadership group or the CEO. So, you know, how do you handle? Hey, we have a plan. We're executing this plan, and all of a sudden, someone says, "Hey, I want to do this other thing." that you weren't planning on doing. 
how, how keeping your objectives and goals in mind, how, how would you, how would someone respond to that if that came up? Um, okay. So there are a couple things there. So you have this plan leadership, something else comes up and they want you to focus here. So you can spend some time to do a bit of due diligence to map out what it's going to take to do that thing. Right. And, and look at the path that you are on um, map out also uh, the enemy of marketing, in my opinion, too, is dilution, right? So by spreading yourself thin here and by, by splintering your efforts, you're start going to start to experience dilution in your, in your efforts. And all of a sudden, you're going to be doing a little bit here on this campaign, the direction that you'd already been going, and a little bit here on this new direction, and you're not going to see any great results across the board. And then everybody's going to be frustrated and disappointed with the efforts involved. And so I think you need to have one a way to map, realistically map out what it's going to take to do this effort, to do this new effort, to continue to build upon the effort that you've already been building. And you need to, to put in a tangible way um, how this is going to impact what you have been doing, right? Uh, and if, if the leadership team or whoever wants all things to be done, then you also need to map out, okay, if that's going to be the case, we need X number of people, we need X number of budget. You need to put budget, people, man hours around these efforts as well so that it becomes a more black and white conversation around where the focus should be. And it becomes a very easy way to then start to go through and prioritize. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I, I think to boil that down, I would, I would say something like, uh, we can do that. What would you like us to not be working on, right? So if we, if we plan properly and we plan collaboratively, then you, know, you should be able to go back and say to the CEO, like, look, this is what we agreed we were working on. This is what we're working on. So you want to do this other thing. It's great. Which of these items should we push to next month? Right. And to Kristen's point, if, if the answer is, well, nothing, I want it all to get done. Well, then the question has to be, well, I need you to allocate some additional resources, right? I need a part-time person. I need to hire an agency. I need, you know, to hire another full-time person because, you know, when we agreed to this plan, it was with our existing resources and our existing budget, you've added to the plan. It seems reasonable to add to our existing resources or, or our existing budget. And if not, then, Let's just go through the list and see what the least priority is. There's always a, a low priority, right? If you have to stack rank the 10 things you're working on, there's always going to be something in the 10th spot. So if someone wants to add something else, maybe that 10th item is really not that important. Maybe that could wait a month or two. Uh, so that, that I think is a very handy thought process in which you can help uh, keep senior leadership focused uh, in some cases, the answer might be like, you know what, all the things that we had agreed to a couple of weeks ago are still priorities. Uh, let's make this new idea I had. Let's work on that next month, which, by the way, is exactly the response you want to get. You want to try to stay focused. To Kristen's point, you don't want to dilute your effort. You, you want to put enough effort behind the, the stuff that you're already planning on executing. So moving a great idea that wasn't planned to the parking lot and looking at it in an upcoming month is, seems to me like a perfectly good uh, response to something like that. You're not blowing it off. You're not dismissing it. You're just saying like, yeah, uh, let's get it in the plan next month because this month has been planned and is full and we, we all agree we like the plan. So that, that, that also makes good sense to me. 
Uh, All right. So uh, let yeah, go ahead. Sorry, just one comment too. You you know monthly plans and and that's great and you should be able to uh, be agile month to month, but also you may want to push to the next quarter. So if you're able to kind of map out and out de determine and define budgets and, and people that are going to be needed, put it as a quarterly initiative so that you can be focused right in the in the quarter and, and not be constantly shifting from one thing to the next and that you can do something well. Yeah, I mean, shifting also drives a lot of inefficiencies. So if you have people starting and stopping, you know, if you have people who worked on a project for two weeks and then you pull them off and put them on a new project, that's really inefficient. When they do come back to that other project, they're going to basically have to start, you know, again to get kind of centered around it. So, you know, our, one of the things we would recommend to anybody uh, listening or watching this is try to minimize that because that can be a real uh, detriment to the team. You know, you're not optimizing your resources if you have them hopping around from project to project or you're pulling them off of things to get started on new things. So the smoother you can do your planning and the less disruptive you can be around what they're working on, that's a, a very positive takeaway from um, the show today. Now, Kristen, you mentioned it a couple of times. So just to keep us kind of moving in the right direction, uh, I have a question here. How would you recommend we plan our month? Is it as simple as hours available across our team and estimates for all the work that needs to be done? I mean, is that really how, how easy it is? Uh, it's certainly part of the equation, right? So, but you, you, you do want to make sure that you're mapping out everything that you ideally want to accomplish. Like what is it going to take to, to help you reach your goals and objectives um, and, and mapping that out. Once you have that all mapped out, uh, and again, considering that you, you have a combination of hours with team members as well as budgets available, you want to start to take a look at, as we already discussed, priority, but collaboration. How can you collaborate with your internal team, people that you might have access to, uh, freelance contractors that you might have developed partnerships with, agencies, and then start to determine Again, what's going to deliver the biggest impact within this period of time? Uh, where can where are we going to be most valuable with our time? And where may other people that we partner with bring the most value? So looking at it from that lens can be very helpful and can help you leverage everything that you have. And, and if you are allocating people right and correctly and tapping into the strengths of your people as well as your partners, you can get a lot more done within that month. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good advice. Now, we also kind of mentioned the A word a few minutes back, agile. And I know that that's, I guess, a little bit of a buzzword. Uh, it's probably more popular with agencies, but I do know some in-house teams that practice agile for their marketing also. So uh, I'll define it a little bit for our, our audience, and then maybe you can talk a little bit about how it can be used to create a very efficient uh, execution to marketing primarily. I mean, I think it probably could be used for sales work and customer service work too, but I generally feel like marketing has a bigger, a bigger lift every single month from a delivery perspective and maybe agile is a little more suited for the people who are producing that kind of stuff. So just to explain to everybody what agile is. So agile 
is a methodology that the software space created to develop new software. And it really came out of the situation where uh, previous to Agile, software companies would get their engineers in a room and they would spend years building something and then they would take it to market and hope it was what everybody wanted it to be. It was like the per perfect was much more important than done. And a, a lot of software companies found that even when they rolled out products that were better than what was in the market, the market was already connected to the product that was less uh, a lesser product and it was impossible to get them to move. So they started looking at the way they developed software and made it more cu customer centric and they made it more about delivering products sooner and a constant iteration that went with that product. So instead of waiting a year to release the product, they would release it in a couple of weeks and they knew it wasn't perfect, but they would get feedback from the customers and they would make fixes to it. And then they would release another version a couple of weeks later. And they were basically releasing versions on a regular schedule with upgrades that they got from direct from customer feedback. And it gave them a much faster go to market. It, it engaged the customer in the up, upgrades and, and features that they wanted. And it got them to uh, a, a highly functional product with customer acceptance in a much shorter time frame. And they were able to actually beat some, some bigger competitors to market as well. So almost all software today gets developed agilely with, with Scrum methodology, where there's a set of features that everybody agrees to. They work on those features. The customer is intimate with the features that are being delivered. The product gets launched, they get feedback, they quickly iterate on it, and they just keep going, constantly adding new features and updating features and fixing things, prioritizing the things that need to get done on a very short window. Um, and it produces a really nice rhythm and a really nice cycle to get high uh, velocity of stuff done in a short amount of time. Marketing has kind of adopted a similar approach probably over the past six or seven years, where instead of delivering as an example, a website that we spent six months or longer working on, and it's now perfect, and we launch it, in a lot of cases, we'll now launch smaller websites, start to get feedback on the performance of the site, and then continue to work on that site over time. And it's called growth-driven design, where we're getting direct feedback from users and, and using that feedback to prioritize fixes, updates, and additions to the site. So over time, the site grows, but it grows based on real customer data and interactions, not you know, what the company thinks it should look like or what the company thinks it should be doing or the marketing people think it should be doing, but really what the customers and clients are telling you they need from the site or the way they want the site to work. And that approach has kind of dripped, it, dripped into a lot of what we do from a marketing perspective. So you know, we're, we're, we no longer do a 12 month marketing plan. Like when I, before Square Two, when I was the VP of marketing in a software company every year, Around this time, I did a 12-month marketing plan, presented it to everybody, got buy-in to the budget and the details, and you know everyone thought it was great. A couple months into the year, I was changing it already. Um, and when we started, and we started doing those kinds of plans at Square Two 18 years ago. Today, we don't do, and I don't know who does 12-month marketing plans anymore because it's kind of a waste of time. What you really should be doing is coming up with a a rhythm and a cycle to your planning that allows you to be more responsive or more agile. So again, if you're doing a quarterly plan, like Kristen said, uh, four times a year, and you're then breaking that quarterly plan down into three 30-day sprints, and you're going to respond in those 30-day sprints to what you learned in the previous month, you're now taking an agile approach to uh, 
how you plan and deploy your marketing. Now, when it comes to prioritization and, and estimating and balancing, which is what kind of got us onto this jag here, by including the people who are going to do the work in your planning exercise, you'll get a much better idea of what they're capable of doing. And you'll be able to find some efficiencies in that planning, as opposed to you know, a VP of marketing or a CMO or even a CEO sitting down and saying like, okay, here's what I want to do this month. Here you go, marketing people, go do it without their input. You're probably going to have a less efficient set of execution associated with that plan. You don't have their buy-in, so maybe they can do it, maybe they can't. Uh, you're going to have some a lot of inefficiencies as they come back to you and say like, look, we're not sure what you meant by this. And, you know, we're not sure we can get this done. It would have been a much more efficient process to sit down with the people who have to do the work and start mapping out the month. And again, this is where you can balance big stuff like campaign planning or campaign execution with little stuff like optimization and look at that package of work and say to, to the people responsible for doing it, can you do all this in this next 30 days? They say, yes, you got their buy-in. They say, no, well, now you have to look at priorities again and see what maybe has to get pushed it back into the, into the next month. And that rhythm of collaborating on that every single month, agreeing to what can get done uh, is a much more efficient process. You're going to have everyone kind of pulling in the right direction. You're going to have everyone in agreement. You know, uh, leadership team understands, the execution people understand. You can blend if you need marketing to help with sales, if you need marketing to help with customer service, you know, you can blend all that together into your package of work and get everyone on the same page about what it's going to take to deliver it. So that's how agile and kind of the, the rhythms associated with the month is probably going to be the best way to, to, to kind of weave that prioritization and those um, conversations into your regular day-to-day -day and keep everything very efficient. Kristen, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, uh, again, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I, I just want to put one uh, caveat out there in terms of agile and I think a, a trap that many people fall into uh, when it comes to agile using the terminology agile trying to implement and marketing in general and that is again the dilution of efforts of oh we're agile so we can pull this out we can put this in because somebody requested this and now this is a priority and we're going to shift everything around sure you can this Everything that Mike just talked about, the collaboration of the team and the, the, the ability, it gives you the ability to do that, but it's not doing yourselves any favors. Again, the intention of being agile with your marketing initiatives is the opportunity to iterate based on results, right? So based on you've decided that this is your direction, that this is your goal, this is your initiative, you're going to do something quickly so that you can get it out there and that you can start to analyze and you can start to see the effectiveness of it. And then the agile part comes in and allows you to tweak and iterate on that to constantly improve. It is not meant to tear your plans apart every single month, throw out the quarterly plan and uh, go a complete direction. You're wasting efforts, you're wasting time. Uh, it's just, that is a that is a trap, Mike. We've been doing this for seven years now. The the agile methodology, mm -hmm. we've seen that happen so many times, and that is a trap that really takes away all of the benefits of agile. I think that's a really good point and something to be careful of. And 
Kristen also brings up a good point that agile really is, it was originally designed and should be used to help you respond to the performance of the program and the data you're collecting. Just like in the software space, it's designed to respond to customer feedback and usage data. It really should be the same way here too. If you have a program that is not responding, then you should take that data and work on getting it to respond. Now, if you've been working on it for three months and you can't get it to respond, then maybe you wanna shutter it. But um, I, I do think those cycles give you the opportunity to look at what's working, double down on what's working, look at what's not working as well, try to fix it, and then work at, look at those things that you've been trying to fix and you can't seem to crack the code on and potentially say, let's just move this off to the side for now and replace it with something else. So I, th I think that's a very good point. And then there's one other point I want to make too, and that is one of the benefits of Agile. And if you choose to implement the Scrum methodology and be, create Scrum teams, a huge benefit of, of taking that on is collaboration with your team, within your team. Um, if you look at historically marketing, uh, has been the waterfall, right? So you plan out a project plan, you have task A, then it goes to the next person. So you have your writer, then it goes to your designer and everybody's working on different things and they're not gonna pick up that project until it comes to them. The benefit of Agile and that we have seen, and the key word here is when Mike, you were talking about sprints, it's truly a sprint. It's not just a monthly plan, but plan prepare, make sure you have everything that you need, and then allow that core team to sprint together, to collaborate. The writer and the designer are working together, hand in hand at the same time. The developer is part of that. Wh whoever you have, whatever you're doing, whoever is going to be a piece of that pie and creating that marketing initiative for you, there are huge gains to allowing your team to go heads down, sprint, collaborate together, and, and it creates a better product. It creates um, better messaging work. It, you're, you're going to be happier with the end result. Um, and, and that, again, is another nuance that I, I don't think people really truly understand uh, it, to Agile and Scrum, that when your team can really truly work together and really collaborate, have all of their heads in it together, your work is so much better. I think that's a really good point. And I can give the uh, audience a specific example of that. Um, so if you rewind time, there was a period where Square Two uh, did not run on Agile and we had designers uh, doing work kind of on their own and then handing that work off to developers to, to build for clients. Uh, so the, the motion was something like this. Designer sits down and designs a landing page, looks beautiful, sends it to the client. Client says, looks beautiful. We send it to the developer. They're like, well, this looks great, but this is going to take me twice as long to build as I was expecting it to take. Well, how is that? Well, you designed a beautiful page, but you didn't really take any design, any development um, uh, uh, requirements into consideration. So like I can build all this, but it's just going to take twice as long as I was expecting. It's going to take twice as long as we thought client really should pay double for this in, in order for us to do it. And then we had to go back to the client and say, Hey, there's good news and bad news here. This beautiful page is going to cost us more to do it for you. You know, is that okay? Or do you want us to go back and do a, a simpler design that fits into your budget? So that's an awkward conversation. One that we don't really want to have. Today, the designer and the developer work together, to Kristen's point. They collaborate on the design. 
so that the designer says to the, the developer says to the designer, like, yeah, don't do that. That's a really complicated piece of development work. If, if that's what the, how you intended the page to work, you can do this and it's much easier for me to develop it. It still looks just as good, still works just as good. But if you design it like that, I can develop it in the timeframe that we originally agreed to. So again, if you have internal resources that are working separately, this is a great way to fix it. If you have, you know, you may be doing the design work in-house and then passing it to an outside development company. Again, you're going to go over budget if you're not collaborating with them on, on what the design is expected to do and how that's going to impact development. And if you are working with an agency, you want to make sure that they're collaborating in the way we described so you don't get surprised with extra expenses when things cost more than you thought they were going to. So that's a really practical example of what Kristen is talking about and getting the team to collaborate within the Agile methodology provides a lot of efficiencies and eliminates a lot of those surprise uh, uh, costs and, and, and un, unexpected investment conversations. Okay, so here's another question. This is from John in San Diego. I only have autonomy over the marketing work. How do you suggest I get sales and customer service to engage in a monthly planning exercise around revenue? So it's a good question. And I, you know, if I could read into his question a little bit, I think what he's saying is, how do I know how to prioritize those sales and customer service activities that I think are going to impact revenue when I don't have any control over those departments. And I would say the best way to do this, John, is to start talking to those other leaders about at least having a regular meeting with them around revenue. So I don't think you're really going to ever get them to do necessarily what you want to do. I don't think you're necessarily going to get much input on their priorities. But I do think if you sat down with them and said, look, we're all in this together, all three of our areas are responsible for revenue in some way. Let's start collaborating on what we're working on. Let's at least be aware of what each of us are working on. I think pretty quickly you would find that they want certain things from you and you may be able to ask them for certain things too. So Back to our very first point at the top of the show, if we're talking about sales ability to close new customers, you probably would have some awareness as to how effective that is, even in the marketing department, right? You know what the pace of new business is, you know when new customers are getting signed, you, you know whether that's on target or off target. If that's below expectations, you might wanna have a conversation with the person running sales and say, hey, I noticed we're having, a, we're having trouble closing new customers. What can I do to help? And I have a feeling that there will definitely be some suggestions about what you can do to help, which again, doesn't get you any control over that, but it gets you in the conversation and it gets you uh, involved in the solutions and the collaboration on what you can do differently. And it might be, let me give you guys a different presentation deck. It might be, you know, let me help you with a reference reel because, you know, you keep mentioning references are hard to come by. They're extending the sales cycle a couple of weeks. I have access to some customers that are happy to talk about how great we're doing. Let me do a quick video and I'll get it in the hands of the salespeople next week. That might help them close deals also. So I think that's probably your best bet. And I'm sure the customer service team will have similar uh, uh, ideas about how you might be able to help them 
And all of them might have idea, you, they might have some ideas about how they can help you. So I guess what I'm saying is start that collaboration simply. Hey guys, can we get together for an hour once a week and talk about how we're doing in our different departments? It might just spur some conversation or introduce some ideas in ways that we can do this better. That might be a nice small amount of time invested with three really important teams from a revenue perspective that might uncover some opportunities for you guys to collaborate and work together, which would definitely impact revenue. Kristen, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, uh, again, just nuance, make it about them, right? So how can marketing better service sales and, and customer service? We need your feedback. Uh, how are the leads um, doing so that uh, you'll get engagement, right? So if you're, you're making it about making sure that you're delivering uh, sales to right leads and that you're supporting them in the way, right way to help them close deals, there's no reason why they should, wouldn't want to engage with you. Um, and then again, just to call out, Mike, what you were already saying, make those meetings about what is going on? What is the end result? How is the close rate? How, how are your sales qualified leads netting out? And not asking them, what can we do for you today? Or what are your needs? Because then you're just going to get a laundry list of, oh, can you give me a sales select here? Can you give me a presentation here? And that's not going to be effective or useful um, by then, but by having conversations about what is truly going on will help you uncover root cause and help you then better prioritize where you should focus your efforts. Yeah, that's a great point. And there is so much more transparency into the performance of the revenue cycle these days. If you have a decent tech stack, you, you probably have access to the numbers you need to go to that meeting and say, hey, our sales cycle is 55 days. That's really long. You know, let's talk about how we can get it down to 45 days or our close rate is only 20%. That seems really low. Let's talk about how we can increase that even 10%, even 15% would have a major impact on revenue. Um, you know, you might have a little less visibility, but it's likely you'll have some visibility into the retention rate for customers too. Hey, we're losing customers 10% a month. Like that seems high. What can we do to make them, make them happier? What can we do to make our, our software stickier? Um, what can we do to remind them to use the software better? Those are all really productive conversations based on data that, I think people would be very open to if people are not responding to data, you have a whole nother set of issues that probably require more senior level conversations about the people in the company and why they're not willing to respond to the specific metrics that have been uncovered by the, the transparency of our businesses in today's world. So uh, some really good suggestions for you there that I think will help you get some traction pretty quickly. All right, Kristen. So I have another question here. This is from Fred in Wisconsin. He likes the prioritization methodology we're talking about, but his question is, how do I know what the impact or lift is going to be from individual projects? So I'm reading this as saying he wants to prioritize like we're talking about, but how is he going to know what the lift might be for some of the things on his list of things to do? You have any helpful insights for Fred here? Um, the lift is then going to depend what are you doing with, with that. So, uh, you've prioritized creating a, an ebook on a certain topic. What are you going to do with that ebook? Do you already have a campaign out there that you're running and that you're going to add this ebook to? You can then 
fairly easily go in, look at your previous data. What, what are the world of people that you have been reaching? What have your results been to date? You're going to be adding this. You're going to be expanding your targeting. Uh, you, can, you can get metrics pretty easily to understand what you reasonably think you're going to get out of that asset. Um, if it's going to uh, also, you know, in the ebook example, you're going to place it on perhaps a landing page or on your website. So you also have to take into consideration long term, what are the optimization lifts? It's going to add to your overall SEO strategy and uh, uh, building authority with your website. So there are the long term lifts that you're going to accomplish as well. Um, but you, you can simply create a list of this is what we're focused on, this is how we're going to use it, and these are what we reasonably think can be expectations for the use of this in these different areas, A, B, C, D. Yeah, I think that, I, that, that's good advice. You know, to, to some extent, the more you do this, the better you'll get at it, right? So if this is the first time you're doing it, you might not know if you can take the landing page conversion rate back to my previous example from 20% to 40%, you might not know that, but by going into it with an objective and working towards that, that's a big, that's a big piece of the puzzle already, right? You might say like, look, I don't really know what changing the headline is going to do, but let's say it's increases it by 5%, right? So that's it. You're expecting it to increase by 5%. You change the headlines around, you let it run long enough to get enough data points to see how you're doing. And you have, you, you basically ran an experiment, you did a test and you have, you have some data. So did you do better? Then next time you're going to make a change, be a little more aggressive. Did you do worse? The next time you're going to make a change, be a little more conservative. Did you hit it right on the head? Then you, you did a pretty good job guesstimating what you thought it was going to be and, and, and start from there, right? You know, Kristen's right. If you do have data from other, similar projects, then you use that to, to, to start. But uh, I generally like to coach people away from averages. Like if you Google, what's an average conversion rate for a landing page, you're going to get a bunch of content, but that doesn't really apply to you and your business. It doesn't really apply to your website. It doesn't really apply to your industry, your company, your products, or services, your prospects. So I tend to coach people away from averages, not that it's not helpful to know generally what, what people think those numbers should be, but I'm more uh, supportive of you baselining what you're currently doing and then just working every month to improve it. Even if it's a couple percentage points every month, think about the lift you'll get after a year, right? If you took a, a landing page that was converting to 10% as an example, and you could get 2% of that a 2% lift every month, by the end of the year, you would have improved it from 10 to 34%. And that's a pretty significant improvement. Yeah, it took you a year, but you only made modest change. You, you only made modest changes. I think there's a probably a better, a, a more likelihood that uh, an example like that would in some months produce a 10% lift and in some months produce a 5% lift. So, you know, by the end of the year, you might be looking at going from 10 to 50 or 10 to 60, and those are really dramatic improvements. Spread that over six or seven landing pages, you've really, really driven the, the lead gen component of 
a very small part of your website with a concerted and, and focused effort. So I would be less worried about nailing the expectations out of the gate and more worried about just looking to improve performance every month. And to Kristen's point, after a couple of months, you'll get a very good uh, idea of what you should be expecting from a lift perspective, which will help you with planning. And it's okay if planning in, and prioritization in the first month you're doing it is a little loose and maybe not as good, as long as it gets better over time. Okay. Um, the next question is actually very related to this and talks about how we integrate question is, how do I integrate testing and experiments into this prioritization system, which is a good, a, a good question. And I'm going to actually just tack on the next question to this conversation, which this next question talks about ongoing optimization and, and RevOps work, right? So Kristen, how, how do I prioritize just ongoing optimization work or ongoing RevOps work that might not be sexy, it might not be related to a campaign, it might be kind of back, back room stuff that needs to get done. Um, some of the testing and experiments too that might be kind of packaged up. How do I prioritize that in this methodology? Uh, right, so that, <laughs> uh, I mean, there's a lot there to prioritize, right? Uh, so one, uh, existing experiments and tests that are ongoing, um, you're, you're going to prioritize. So uh, constantly uh, keeping an eye and monitoring your, if you have something actively out there that you're running campaigns for, you're going to keep an eye. If something's not performing, you will tweak on an ongoing basis. And those are going to be the little things, Mike, that you've already talked about um, that are not going to be big lifts that uh, any team should be able to fit into um, their day-to-day. Um, you want to see things through, you want to be able to then also be able to make a call of when do you need to be patient and, and make sure that you are consistent and continue to push a campaign and, and see how it grows over time versus when is something just not working and you need to pull the plug on it. Um, and, and that will then help you with prioritization efforts as well. And that is, again, Mike, to your point of not doing averages, take your baseline, work on constant iteration and improvements. And if you, for some reason, are not being able to make that, that improvement happen and you're just whatever you're doing, you're not seeing that gain, then perhaps it's time to pull the plug. Perhaps the message isn't right. Perhaps the content that you're following, uh, throwing out isn't right. Perhaps the, the, the audience being targeted is not right. Um, for whatever reason. Um, when it comes to the, the RevOps work, right, that spans marketing through sales enablement through sales. Um, again, that's going back to the collaboration between sales, customer service, and marketing is extremely important here. Making sure that you have com um, communication and feedback loops and that you are monitoring. So things such as lead scoring, not one and done. Lead scoring needs to be monitored and it needs to be optimized. It needs to be tweaked so that you don't, you don't go to a big event and you had great success there. And now all of a sudden you have a whole bunch of new leads and it triggered the system and your sales team just got flooded with a whole bunch of SQLs that really aren't SQLs. So making sure that you're keeping an eye on that, how the flow of communication is going through the system and um, prioritizing, again, not asking for lists of things that you, you want people to have, but more so, what are, what are you hearing? What are your challenges? You might, your, your sales team might say, my challenge is 
um, the, the system isn't clear. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not getting the right notifications at the right time. I, for some reason, this, this sale slipped through my fingers because I was late in following up with them. And we'll look into that in the lead management. What happened there? What needs to be tweaked? What needs to be improved upon to make sure that that is a seamless process and that, that there are no mistakes there? Um, the, uh, a, a pain point might be, I, say, I don't know that these dashboards are correct. I don't know that the information is true. Um, and I have no confidence and therefore I'm not, not using it. Well, you probably have an issue with your data. Mm -hmm. So starting to then dig into the data and making sure your data is clean and set up correctly so that you can report in the way that your team needs reporting. Yeah, I think this, this topic may have gotten a little uh, muddy because like we were talking about testing experiments and ongoing optimization about those things that might produce big lift for a little bit of effort. And I think that I would still prioritize that in the way we discussed earlier, but the RevOps stuff is a little different, right? Like to your point, you know, this dashboard needs to be tweaked, right? If the dates are wrong, or I want to, I want a new dashboard with a longer view of time. So I can see how we did last year versus this year, as opposed to last month versus this month. Um, you know, we need a new list created for a campaign we have coming up. Like those activities are not necessarily going to produce any lift, but they still need to get done. Right. Um, I think what I would do is just carve out a certain amount of time every month and assign it to a, a person or or a couple of people, however you want to organize your team, or, you know, maybe you decide that this work is, is better suited to have an agency partner help me because it's not really campaign specific, or it's not, you know, lead gen specific. It's kind of more like back office marketing support, back office sales support. Um, either way, I think it's, it, it's an important part of the planning and prioritization process, and it needs to be covered but I think to answer this question specifically, I would just say like, look, we need 15 hours of RevOps work every single month. And we need, we generally need a new dashboard created. People ask for new dashboards. So we generally create a new dashboard a month that would go in there. We generally need to look at lead scoring and, and we generally make some adjustments to it. That would go in there, right? We, uh, we, 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 we've been doing one event a month and we get a new list from the event that we participate in. So that needs to be cleaned and scrubbed and loaded and, and tagged properly. And, and then the campaign assets assigned to it and the automated follow-up launched, you know, like those are kind of operational tasks that could easily get bucketed into a certain uh, you know, set of hours assigned to a certain person or assigned to an agency. And then you just fill that up when you're doing your collaboration and planning and then that stuff gets executed every single month without distracting from the testing and the optimization and the campaign work. Uh, and by the way, you're probably going to learn over time that there's going to be more and more of those RevOps stuff that come up as your tech stack gets more complicated. You know, you might say like, hey, we've decided to put call tracking into the mix here. So there's going to be some RevOps work that month to connect the call tracking software to your lead management system and your marketing automation and make sure that the numbers are forwarding properly. And to Kristen's point, people are getting notified and they're picking those calls up and following up on them. And that follow-up is getting put in the system. Like someone has to pay attention to that. So 
uh, again, it's not the sexy campaign work or the necessarily the lead gen work, but it's stuff that has to get done. It has to get done effectively. It has to be planned for. It has to be followed up on. Um, it has to be tested. So I would probably suggest just carving out a certain block of time, assigning it to a specific resource, someone who has that skill set. It is a unique skill set, just so you all know. Um, you know, the, the whole idea of RevOps is relatively new, maybe a year or two old. So, you know, if you're going to put someone on it that hasn't done it before, just keep that in mind. Um, it might take them some time to kind of ramp up and get comfortable with those tasks because they're not traditional marketing or sales related tasks. Uh, okay, so we're coming up on the top of the hour here. I just, um, we have a couple of other questions. Let's do one real quick, Kristen. So um, this is from uh, John in Vermont. Wouldn't an entire campaign cover a wide variety of tasks? How would a bigger project like launching an entire campaign get prioritized? So can you just talk real quickly about how you would maybe break up a campaign into smaller bite-sized chunks and get that prioritized and planned out? Yep. Uh, campaigns can be massive. Campaigns can have a whole bunch of moving parts and pieces. Uh, so again, it's just looking at the campaign. What are you going to start with? What are you going to launch with? What's going to biggest lift uh, out of the gate and, and uh, focus on that first and launch your campaign. And then this is also where agile is a beautiful thing and that you start to see how that is going. Uh, you can tweak, you can optimize as you go. Those are the little tiny lifts as and then um, in your planning, you're going to continue to add to that campaign. So then making sure that you have your next item that you think is then going to be the next thing that you want out there running as part of that campaign. Uh, focus on that, get that launched and running out there. Then you're gonna have a couple things running. You're going to keep an eye on it. You're gonna optimize, you're gonna monitor. On the, on the side parallel paths, you're gonna be creating the next thing that you're gonna launch as part of that campaign. So it can also be an, an iterative approach. It doesn't have to be, everything has to be perfect as you launch this campaign. Campaigns are moving, breathing things as well. Yeah, that's good advice. I mean, you really just wanna break it down into bite-sized chunks and make sure that you know, everyone understands what the individual tasks are that go into make, making up the big campaign. I mean, I think the reason this is such a hot topic is marketing specifically has gotten very complex. Like we talked about tech, we talked about operations, we talked about, you know, content and website. And, you know, that doesn't even get into if you're running paid social or paid search, email marketing, chat. There's just so many things that have to be firing at the same time to do an omni-channel campaign and do it well, that the complexity has been ramped up. And if you can't prioritize and plan, that complexity can get overwhelming and can actually bog down your programs and impact performance pretty dramatically. So, um, you know, if this is something new to you, I might suggest considering getting some help. Um, if it's new to you, just be patient. Uh, you know, I'm sure your team will start to get better at this over time. After they do it a couple of months, give them good guidance and I'm sure they'll be fine. And this actually leads into what we're going to talk about next, uh, next week, which actually won't be next week. I think we're going to do a Thanksgiving show next week. I'm pretty sure next week is the day before Thanksgiving. So we're going to do a Thanksgiving day show. Uh, so look forward to that. That'll be live next Wednesday at four o'clock. We'll do a Thanksgiving day show and then we'll come back after Thanksgiving. And we're going to talk about random acts of marketing. So you know, when, when, when I talk to prospects, one of the things I hear very frequently is, 
it just seems like we're throwing a bunch of stuff up against the wall and hoping something sticks. We don't really seem to have any rhyme or reason as to what we're doing. And we've classified that as random acts of marketing. And it's a real problem out there. Uh, so the, the, the show after Thanksgiving will be all about random acts of marketing and how to eliminate them and how to orchestrate your, your plans and programs. So look, hope everybody is looking forward to that. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, again, the show will be posted on our website at four o'clock today, so you can go and get it. Uh, again, you can come and submit questions like some of the people have done today on our website at the bottom in the footer. What's wrong with revenue? Click it, submit some questions. We'll answer them live on the show. Um, and you can also get access to the shows. And if you're looking for the shows, they're on YouTube at the Square Two Marketing channel. They're also on all your favorite podcast platforms. So I uh, hope you enjoyed the show today. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll talk to you live next Thursday, right before Thanksgiving. Kristen, thanks for joining me today. And everybody have a really great day.